Hi, I'm Devin Person. This podcast is a ritual, is a time and space spanning magic ritual steering reality towards a slightly better future. As your wizard, I believe real magic requires trust and authenticity, which is why I'll never allow advertisers in our ritual space. But creating this ritual takes work, as well as a steady supply of veggie burritos and illicit drugs. If you'd like to help this podcast become slightly better, please take a moment to visit patreon.com slash this podcast is a ritual. You'll get access to bonus episodes, monthly virtual gatherings, wizard ebooks, psychedelic playlists, and best of all, the warm, fuzzy feeling of making the world a more magical place. Thank you so much to all who have, do, or someday will support this ritual. I believe in you. Your magic is real. In 30 seconds, reality as you know it will cease to exist. In its place, you will find a new dimension, identical to the one you've left behind, only slightly better. Take a deep breath and open your mind to the magic within you. This is no ordinary podcast. This podcast is a ritual. As a wizard and as a podcaster, I have two huge pet peeves I need to get off my chest. The first is books about magic that make it impossible to learn how to actually do magic. I'm not talking about books written in medieval Europe or dusty old grimoires written to help senile priests conjure better demons. I get why those can be hard to approach as a modern reader. Now, my beef is with books written for modern audiences where the author spends pages discussing the difference between magic and science, the true and noble aims of the mystic arts, and hinting at how powerful their own magic is, but never offers an accessible entry point. I've seen books where step one is, practice concentration until you can hold a single image in your mind for over an hour without ever losing focus, not even for a moment. Which, as someone who's meditated daily for over a decade and still can't maintain one point of attention for an hour, I find that extremely unhelpful. There's a very specific self-aggrandizing attitude you find in books about magic. And God help you if you ever visit an internet forum about magic. And I find it to be the antithesis of what magic means to me. It's the poor teacher who shows off in front of their students and never helps them tap into their own hidden talents. My second pet peeve is research-based podcasts that immediately run off the rails. The title says you're going to learn about the history of Platonism, and then the host tells a story about a trip to Greece he took in his early 20s, and the information that you're after remains frustratingly out of reach the entire time, and you feel like a donkey being led around by a carrot dangled from a stick. Now, I started this episode complaining about these issues, not just because I love complaining, although I do love complaining, but because they're why I so appreciate the incredible work today's guest, Douglas Batchelor, does on his podcast, What Magic Is This? Each episode is a deep dive on a magical topic, from the Golden Dawn to the Grimoire tradition to the recent episode 
I did with Douglas on, you got it, Wizards. The show is everything I wanted when I was first discovering magic, trying to work out how to perform rituals by reading Alan Moore comics and cheesy Llewellyn New Age books. Douglas does excellent research, lays out each topic in a way that is as engaging as it is accessible, and then gives brilliant suggestions on which books he thinks will help you dive deeper, as well as the books you should steer clear of. Which is why I'm so delighted today to welcome Douglas into our ritual for this illuminating conversation on the one topic I can't stop talking about, which is how to talk about magic. Well, 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 what magic is this? It's Douglas Bachelor in our midst. Welcome to Ritual Space, Douglas. Thank you so much. This is very exciting. I know that we just chatted on your yeah. show, but now I'm excited to talk again because I, I don't know about you, but I felt like we could have talked for another like five hours at the end of our conversation. You know what, uh, Devin? I was thinking before we started, like I, I, it wasn't that I was unaware of your work. I listened to several of your episodes, but I was like, man, how are we going to talk about wizards for like an hour? Um, <laughs> and we recorded for about two hours and... 30 minutes and yeah so i'm looking at the amount of editing i have to do and it's like well yeah there's there's a lot of editing there and uh, i was actually quite shocked at just how much we could squeeze into something as simple as as wizards but my goodness yeah we could have talked at least for another another five hours definitely i mean i've been talking pretty consistently about wizards for uh like six years at this point so i think there's a, there's, there's a lot of juice in that fruit i hear you <laughs> um well before we get any further what's our magic word going to be our magic word is Hekka. Hekka. Ooh, yeah. I like that. I'm in I'm in Sacramento right now, which uh which is where the term Hella oriented from. So I like oh. Hekka as like the uh the the more like I don't want to swear alternative, but we'll we'll talk about Hekka in a moment, but first sure. let's say it. So Absolutely. one, two, three, Hekka. There we go. All right. What's a what's what the heck's a Hekka? Well, Hekka is actually the uh, the Egyptian conception of magic. Um, yeah, the the Egyptians saw magic in absolutely everything, and uh, they lived in a very magical world, almost uh, animistic. Actually, it was pretty much entirely animistic. But before anything came into the world, uh, there was magic, and I love this conception of magic being first before anything. Actually, mm -hmm. I pulled out I pulled out a book that uh, has a copy of. Uh, what was written on coffins. They're called the coffin texts. And this is what it has to say about Hekka. I am he whom the Lord of all made before duality had yet come into being, the son of him who gave birth to the universe. I am the protection of that which the Lord of all has ordained. I am he who gave life to the Ennead. Come to take my position that I may receive my dignity, because to me belonged the universe before you gods had ever come into being. You have come afterwards because I am Hekka. Oh, I like that. It gets almost yeah. a little bit like kind of braggy. It's like, yeah, it's like I'm Hekka. You better watch yourself. Like I'm, I'm going to start to freestyle rap battle you. <laughs> Indeed. Yeah, I just I love the idea that um, before anything happened, uh, there was some kind of a form of something we don't understand yet that we have now given a name to as magic. But to the Egyptians, it was Hekka. And uh, truthfully, I think that magic might be it's, it's not one thing, but I think that it might be 
the way that everything in the world operates. Some people would say they'll throw some quantum physics in there. It's something we don't understand yet or this kind of thing. But uh, I'm, for this point, I'm happy with calling it magic. Well, and I think you can even almost combine those ideas where I like this. I, I think often of there's a zone where the light is bright and we understand things and or at least we think we do. And then there's a zone where the light is like shadowy and, you know, you're you're, you're you can't see things quite so clearly, but you can still see enough to kind of move around. And yeah. that's the magical space where there's things that. We know enough to kind of work with it a little bit, but we definitely haven't mapped it out in the same way that we have like laws of physics, which are going to let us figure out where exactly that projectile is going to go. 94% of the universe is unaccounted for. We have 6% of it that we can see objectively mm -hmm. as far as stars, but dark matter and dark energy accounts for 94% of the universe. So when this 6% segment of what we can observe, we call reality, I think that's a, a little bit um, a little presumptuous. Yeah. 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 And what, what blows my mind is 120 years ago, we really thought the Milky Way was was everything. Like yeah. the idea of yeah. the universe as we know it and the this whole story about the Big Bang, that is so recent. And yep. we have just, yep. you know, this the current generation just thinks of like, yep, that's the cosmology. Of course, that's the way things are. Ha ha ha. People were so stupid when they thought something else. Right. But it's like, we have barely cracked the surface. And so I'm excited about in our lifetimes to figure out if we learn some more, you know, like what new fascinating things are going to the, the way that you go from the Milky Way to this whole universe where we have maps of super clusters and dark matter and all of these things right. like what leap are we going to make in our generation um it, it's astounding the uh there's one of my favorite people in the world is by the name of Martin Rees yeah, he's uh he was head of the Royal Society for a long period of time about I think about 30 or 40 years ago might have been the early 80s he said that probably by 1995, we'll have everything figured out about dark matter and dark energy. Um, we haven't figured anything out. Nope. <laughs> so there's, there's a bit of hubris involved specifically when we try to figure out, or at least to say that we can figure out the mysteries of the universe. Yeah. And I think that's where magic comes in, because I think magic has, at least in my experience, a sense of humor and really is a pretty strong rebuke to this idea that you know, there's a mechanical model. And once you figure out where all the billiards started, then you're going to be able to figure out where they're all going. And yeah. I love, you know, the way the positivist uh, philosophy project, which was like, oh, we can figure out uh, a logical system that will explain all mathematics. Right. Um, yep. Uh, Gordo was like, no, you can't. <laughs> <laughs> nope. You, you can't even really explain anything. Uh, really, you can't even get to arithmetic without, exactly. <laughs> without running into paradoxes. Definitely. So. Yeah, I think um, I'm excited to talk about magic, and I think sure. you've already brought this up with Hecka, of the, you know, Western Christian Bible is often talks about the logos or like, you know, God speaks the world into being. Right. And there's this idea that language comes first. We we think of something, we can we put a word to it, and that brings it into being. But it sounds like with Hecka, it's it's no. <laughs> magic <laughs> is coming first, and then you're yeah. finding words to kind of grasp and hold on to. Yes. Um, the magic that's flowing through. And I think that's the interesting relationship of, you know, how many books have I read that try and define magic and then uh, pit magic against science? And we've all been down that road. Yeah. And that's what I love so much about your podcast is I feel like you do a really good job about talking about magic without 
falling into those traps. So in yeah. that vein, I'd love to start um, a little bit chronologically and maybe sure. bibli- um, bi- biographically. Um, what was your entry point into magic and when did you really start feeling that there was something here and having magical experiences of your own? Well, I mean, I could try, in retrospect, I could try and basically say magic's been a part of my life for forever, but I didn't have the proper uh, word to put on to certain phenomena or experiences that I was having. And so when I was younger, I I used to uh, feel presences, see presences, uh, we could call them spirits, this kind of thing. Um, It really, where I put a Uh, basically I draw a line in the sand and said, before this point, I was not a practicing magician, although I had been reading things like Carl Jung and, and very interested in Charles Fort reading Colin Wilson, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, But there was a moment where I was working at a video store and what was released in the video store was something called the Disinfo Disinfo, TV series. It was yep. done by the Disinformation Company uh, that was based out of New York. It was started by Richard Metzger and uh, a couple of other people, I believe. But they had a, uh, a TV show that aired on Channel 4. I think it only aired for like four episodes before it was yanked. Yeah, it was. It was. I remember that DVD because it only had a, a few things on it, but it was fascinating stuff. Yeah, incredibly fascinating stuff. But the more interesting thing was on the the second DVD, so I'm uh, working at this video store. I brought it home. I loved the first DVD and uh, was loved this TV series. It was really interesting. But the second disc was something called Disinfocon. And it was a, a symposium of interesting individuals through uh, magic and art and all of these crazy <laughs> people that are really quite wonderful and thinkers and philosophers and occultists. And... Uh, they would be up on stage and they were they were they were talking and so they have yeah you have Kenneth Anger there mm-hmm. uh, Paul Lafferty I believe uh, Adam Greatly Robert Anton Wilson yeah yeah Robert Anton yeah. Wilson was the uh, very last speaker for for the Disinvocon but uh, as much as I love Robert Anton Wilson one of the I think the second person on the DVD that was speaking was Grant Morrison there we go who, yeah <laughs> who was a comic he's a comic book writer and he <laughs> in his presentation it literally starts with him screaming into a microphone which basically gets everybody's attention before he had gone on stage he actually dropped uh, he dropped acid and uh, <laughs> and uh, he just says you know like everybody i just dropped acid so everybody watch for it when it comes up but <laughs> he started talking about magic and I was like, magic, what is, what is he talking about? And he would talk about these things called sigils in which if you draw on paper, you remove vowels, you can change reality. And that seemed so odd to me. But after watching this, uh, this DVD, and it was late at night, like uh, I think I got home from the video store because it closes late, like one o'clock. I watched an hour of this, uh, this DVD. Um, because I'd had it for a little while before we actually released it, I went to sleep and I had the most incredible visual dreams. Just like I, it was, it was semi lucid, but I, the way I want to actually try and explain it, it was more about say almost like having uh, a moment of a mystical experience. That's mm-hmm. how vivid the dreams were. It was a place that was more real than real. 
uh, the things that were happening were pretty mundane. Like I would, I think the first night was actually when I had this experience of uh, flying and I would was flying in and around the Rocky Mountains where I basically grew up and I could fly over the mountaintops and I could go into these ponds uh, that are lakes that were at the top of the mountains and I could blast through the water and straight up uh, up through into the air. So you wake up and you're back to normal reality. So it's like, okay, there's something here. The next night I watched, uh, I watched even more of the DVD and then I went back and watched Grant Morrison again. Yeah. I had the same dreams that night, like, I, like this, wow. just as vivid. And this, this happened for about five, five or six nights in a row. So I was like, okay, I gotta, I gotta look this up. And uh, so I looked up chaos magic and uh, this would have been in 2002, 2002, 2003. Yep. Uh, sorry, 2003. And I, I remember being like, okay, this is something I have to do. I mean, everything was kind of leading up to this point <laughs> in a strange way, specifically with um, my reading of people like Carl Jung and uh, Robert Campbell, or sorry, um, Joseph Campbell, mm-hmm. et cetera, et cetera. So I was already leading in a somewhat mystical direction, but this seemed different. Magic seemed inherently different. So since then it's just been off to the races. And so that's basically where it was, it was literally November, oh, uh, November 28th or 29th. Uh, I'm trying to remember because somebody nicely reminded me of my magic anniversary uh, of 2003, where I basically said, looks like I'm, I wrote in a diary. I literally wrote yeah. it down and said, looks like I'm a chaos magician because <laughs> I tried, because I tried some stuff and it, it started. It works. Working. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So well, that's basically my villain origin story. I, I, I love the magical parallels because I, I think there's a lot of us out there that, you know, Grant Morrison was almost like the Tim Leary of this new magical Renaissance movement. And I got exposed. He did an interview in Arthur magazine and I yeah. read that. And that is the line in the sand. Like if you go back and look at me in high school, I was doing all of these proto magic things. Um, I convinced my friends that we needed to offer sacrifices to the weed gods before we would go out and get into like mischief in the suburbs. Right. Um, but you know, I, that was the moment where it was just like, ah, magic. That's the thing that I was looking for. That's where my interests were. I was looking at religion. I was looking at this. Grant Morrison's version of it um, really was that lightning bolt. And from there, just the gates opened and everything came pouring forth. And, you know, I think it's interesting because, like, I guess maybe someone says it, but we don't talk about, like, Morrisonian chaos magic. Like, he hasn't (laughs) fully coined his own thing. And we have to all say, like, you know, all hail Grant and have this hagiography about um, his his life, uh, although his life is very interesting. But I think his version of chaos magic feels even different than the original chaos magic text and the stuff with Peter Carroll and Phil Hine because he was so pop oriented and he was so excited and he was so affirming. He was Mm -hmm. like, go fucking do this stuff. He was like, just go, 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 go. Like play around, figure it out, make it up. Like your version is as good as anybody else's version. Like go have fun. Here are the matches, go play with fire. And I think that has been the biggest influence in my magical career of of just getting that permission early on and saying okay like what's let's look at the world and what can we do with it yeah very shortly after the disinfo dvd came out uh disinformation released a book called book of lies mm-hmm. which was a bunch of authors that richard metzger had suggested 
to uh, put essays in his book. He knew exactly from where to take uh, certain things, Neville Drury, uh, Grant Morrison, Robert Anton Wilson, Jason Liu, Genesis, yeah, yeah, Genesis, Gen- yep, exactly, exactly. So, <laughs> literally, like six months after this DVD comes out, this book comes out, and the very first essay in there is "Pop Magic" by Grant Morrison, and that's just like it's short. Like I, I mm-hmm. recently went and looked at the book; I still have it with all my scribbling and highlighting, and it looks it looks terrible, but also still like a artifact from my past. But the the segment pop magic is very, very short, um, but it had such a monumental impact. Um, it's well, just wonderful. I, I, I think I'm remembering this correctly, that he said that this is an excerpt from an upcoming book. And that was this yeah. book that I waited for. And I was just like, as I looked for other things, I was trying to find something that was like the pop magic book. I was like, I want this book that Grant Morrison has promised me and everything else that I was reading. I was like, ah, just like, just tell me it straight. Like, stop telling me about the history of the Golden Dawn. Top, stop telling me about this other thing. I literally want Grant Morrison's like, here's how to do a ritual recipe book, which right. I don't think he ever actually no. produced. But, no, no, you know, no. maybe maybe that's the point is that you have to write your own. Exactly. I think that that's, yeah, I, I do remember that he was, he was mentioned that he was going to write something, but I mean, the other uh, comic book magician that we all know and love is uh, Alan Moore and people have been waiting. Like I've, I've actually even on Twitter seen people be like, I, 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 my, my magic has stalled because I'm waiting for the release of Alan Moore's, the bumper book of uh, the moon and serpent bumper book of magic. Mm-hmm. And it's like, no, 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 <laughs> you're not getting the point. Yeah. Uh, I do think it will get released. It's probably not going to be released for another couple of years, but you can go out and literally do this. So I, I tend to veer more towards Grant's uh, anarchic way of looking at chaos magic. It's, it's very, it's very awesome, but no, he didn't, he didn't release his book. And uh, I think that's a, that's a good thing. Yeah. Well, I think there's like a spectrum. Like like my holy comic trinity would be Neil Gaiman, Grant Morrison and Alan Moore, and I, I feel <laughs> and I and I feel like the Sandman had all of these ideas but in a literary story and it was never like here's how to go do magic. It was just like here's a world that is completely imbued with magic and i think alan and grant got a little bit more literal and like you know the invisibles and promethea both have a lot of stuff where it's like hey i want you to know that i've I've read these books and like here's the books that you should read too um but yeah i think i think grant was the most fuck it go do chaos magic like jerk off on a sigil (laughs) like go go do it (laughs) Um, do you do you remember what your first like ritual or sigil or any of that was do I remember my first one? Yeah, I actually do. It was one involving, uh, because in pop magic, it's like he says you can basically do anything. Uh, I was going through a bit of a rough patch. My parents had separated, and I basically moved from my uh, living situation, which was out in rural Alberta, actually in a place called Bright Creek. And so I had my uh, video store friends um, which was a group of about six people, but I remember being uh, in a rough spot. So my very first sigil was meeting more interesting people. And uh, it went, yeah, it happened actually. It kind of <laughs> made me come out of my shell. So yeah, my first, like uh, my first sigil was, uh, yeah, meet interesting people. And very shortly after that, it was uh, a sigil involving uh, losing my virginity basically. Oh, and, nice. Uh, yeah. And that happened. <laughs> so um, yeah. Well, this is, this is astounding because, I, I remember the first, like, I, I sat down to make some sigils, and one of them was I wanted to find other people to talk to about magic. 
And I drew that into a sigil. I had not yet done a ritual around it. I had literally just drawn the sigil and I was selling weed in the Pacific Northwest at the time. And a guy that I knew casually as somebody who came over and bought weed from me comes over like a couple hours after I finished drawing this thing, looks at my desk and goes, oh, you're reading a book on Aleister Crowley? Do you do magic? And I'm like, um, I'm, I'm, I'm about, I'm, I'm trying to learn how to. He's like, yeah, we should talk, man. I, I did a ton of magic stuff when I was in college. Yeah, we used to like go on the woods and listen to Tool and do mushrooms and do rituals. Yeah, like, and then I was like, wow, you, I literally just manifested you like two hours ago. What the hell is happening? Sigil bleed. So before you even activated the sigil, it, it happened. Yeah, that, that happens quite often. It's awesome. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's really cool. Well, I think that's, you know, the thing that I love so much about your show is it really just makes it, it takes me back to when I was first exploring these and you are doing what I so desperately wanted at that time, which is somebody just laying out these topics, just being like, here's the map. Here's the uh, here's enough of the backstory to get you started. Here's the interesting things. Here's the things that are kind of suspect that I'm going to call bullshit on. And then here's five books that you can go read to learn more. And <laughs> I'm curious how um, the, the podcast came about, how you decided to approach magic with that formula. Um, basically, I saw a, a gap in a lot of a lot of occult podcasts, and I just want to preface this by saying I'm not throwing shade at anybody in any way, but it seemed that the all vast- other occult podcasts <laughs> suck except for mine and Douglas's. Uh, there it is. I, I put it on the record. Thank you. But uh, I, I noticed it was mainly just um, two people talking. Oh, and- I hate podcasts with two people talking. <laughs> but it was. It, it seemed like it was two two people talking and both were trying to get a spot on the CBS series occult jeopardy. And, Mm -hmm. and it was just like, I, that's really not that interesting to me. There was very few of them that were actually talking about things that that were good uh, in a way that would be welcoming for people starting out in magic. And I I was like you, like, uh, I mean, by the time I started the podcast, I'd been doing magic for about 17 years actively, like every, every year there, I can't remember a time where magic since that line in the sand was drawn where I wasn't doing it. Like I, I took zero breaks. I've had moments of time where it wasn't as big in my life, but never not doing magic. So, um, I had, I had the things that were recommended to me. I had, you know, the golden dawn and mm-hmm. et cetera, et cetera. And, uh, before that, cause I kind of started in chaos magic. I had Phil Hine and Pete Carroll and uh, all of that wonderful work, but Phil Hine's another great one. Cause I, I remember reading, yeah. um, what is it? Chaos explained. What is the name of it? Condensed Conven- chaos. Cond- condensed chaos. Yeah. And that was that was like I was like, okay, this is as close to Grant's pop magic book as I'm going to yeah. get because this is really just it's it's so nice and clear. It's so encouraging. It's giving you yeah. stuff that you can do right away. It's awesome. Yeah. So with yeah, that book was literally like for four years, three years. That was about as close as I had to like a Bible. Yeah. Like that book was. I think I've bought three copies of it because I just keep like going through it. Um, but with the podcast, I basically just saw that there was nothing that was really uh, uh, gentle with people starting out in magic. And there was a lot of, uh, I'm just going to say, uh, bad information, bad mm. bad guidance, um, terrible things to suggest to people that are magic curious and also no kind of way of coming at magic that is... Um, 
having these topics talked about as their own specific topic. Normally when there's the two person talking back and forth, they'll have like the topic and then it'll veer like immediately veer off into something. And they'll usually just end up talking about themselves. And when they did something cool, Um, I do that like a little bit, but I try to basically (laughs) couch it in between like, this is what I learned from the experience. But so I just saw a general lack of, of anything like that. And, even in amongst the the hate mail that I do get on a very frequent basis, the one thing that a lot of them say is that, man, I love, they say, well, this is how it goes, you suck, but man, I love your format. And then I just answer them back, like, my form, I don't own my format. You can go ahead and do this. I don't know why it wasn't, uh, I'm, not, I'm not the first person to do it, I, but I just haven't come across a podcast that does what I do. But uh, nobody owns that format, but just taking a topic and then hashing it out and then being able to provide links for people to be able to search and look for things on their own. Yeah, I mean, I think that's that's the thing is that it's it's whether it's a podcast or it's a book, when you are a seeker, it is so frustrating when you're you're like you feel like you're so close to the information you want and then it goes on a tangent or it alludes to it, but says that it won't tell you it and then keeps going and you're like, no, no, but like. But I'm sorry, like, I'm not going to go find this, like, ascended master that's, like, living next door to me that's going to, like, show me the secrets a la, right. you know, um, Tom O'Bedlam in, in The Invisibles. Like, I would love for that to happen. That's what I desperately oh, want to happen. But um, <laughs> I have yet to find it. And, yeah, like, then you go to the local occult bookstore and there's just this overwhelming amount of titles. And a lot of them are kind of cheesy, new agey yeah. ones. And you're just like... Or then you, you're like, oh, I want the authentic grimoire. And then you find the authentic grimoire. And at least I was like, what do I do with this? <laughs> like, oh, my God. <laughs> how, how do I even like, how do I even start with this? I'm I'm using a knife I got from Goodwill and tea candles. How am I supposed to have like these complex herbs and things and right. figure out, you know, this part that's in garbled Latin? So um, <laughs> I think I think you're providing a valuable service. Oh, thank um, you. What um so I, I'm trying to think of I, I don't want to just you know tell me about some cool adventures you've had but I'm I'm curious like how your ritual practice has evolved over time because I think that was the thing when I was seeking initially that people would sort of allude to it and kind of leave it cloaked in mystery and then what I was doing which was literally going out to my garage in a bathrobe to like chant Hebrew angel names <laughs> while my and then my, like my roommate I would come back and my roommates would be snickering like right. it felt very different and that's what I've tried to kind of do as a wizard is remind people that like hey this is going to feel sort of silly and that's okay and so i'm curious how your own ritual practice has evolved and what sort of um trends and things you found along the way so it's kind of like i've gone in a giant circle truthfully (laughs) and so so i started out doing the grant morrison phil hine very anarchic just whatever you have that works works go for it (laughs) and then eventually i i think through like a combination of uh, reading Robert Anton Wilson books, like all of them, and reading Alan Moore, et cetera, et cetera. I shifted into kind of the Golden Dawn Thelema uh, regiment, I guess, in which, yeah, it was like I wanted to have that multicolored wand. Uh, I, if I could buy it, I would. I wanted to have all of the props. They had to be exact. They had to be the way that that was set out by for these kind of things. Everything had to be... Um, authentic to the ritual and then that just eventually went away and then so getting into grimoire magic earlier when i was 
Uh, but even before that, with something like the PGM, because you can't get those a lot of those ingredients, mm-hmm. I would just be like, uh, I can't do this ritual. Yeah. So then, uh, then doing the grimoires, I tried to stay as uh, as uh, that that fidelity of doing a ritual from the Golden Dawn and Thelema. It transitioned into grimoire based magic. And so I would try, like I would try to get as many of the things right as I could. And it did work, but I'm finding, yeah, I'm back to kind of where I've started, which is I can substitute a ton of things and get the same results. So as long as it's on a similar track to what I'm trying to accomplish, I mean, specifically with something like the Greek magical papyri, I'm not going to have particular things that I can't get because, well, one, they might be an extinct thing since they were written. Number Mm -hmm. two is that I'm in a totally different geographic area, but what do they stand for? And so it it allows me to be able to look at the context of what I'm, uh, what the spell calls for and just take it apart a little bit and see like, okay, if this stands for something, can I substitute it? And I found that that worked quite well. Now I'm not as freewheeling as I was when I first started, but I found that, um, if you do things enough times, you're able to hit a point where you can see what the overall arching part of the ritual is and then adapt to it. So I'm far less, uh, I'm far less beholden to getting absolutely everything right. Now there are people specifically, I mean, most of my magic these days comes from grimoires and, uh, well, Grimoire's Folk Catholicism, the Greek Magical Papyri. So I've just found that. Which is already, I mean, I think that's the thing is like there's this trend right now of people saying we're going to go back. We're kind of leaving this chaos magic thing behind and we're going to go right. back and do authentic Grimoire magic. But you're doing Grimoire, Greek Magical Papyri and Folk Religion, which, you know, is, is true to Europe. But it is still this like syncretic yeah. stew. It's not just Absolutely. this one, you know, this is the one tradition and I don't color outside the lines in any way. Yeah, no, I've, we talked a little bit before about this idea of, of tradition and um, that you, you, you particularly, Devin, that you're not, uh, you're not as enamored with it, and which is totally fine. I have zero problem with I'm it. I'm just a bad student, man. Like I just, <laughs> <laughs> I just cut corners and never was able to do that period where I was like actually yeah. faithfully doing the, the, the Golden Dawn rituals and gotten in the habit of it. For sure. For me though, there's nothing that scares me more than the idea of tradition. And I, and when I say the Western magical tradition in my podcast, I always put a little bit of zing on it because for one if if there is a western magical tradition it is the grimoires okay cool but this whole idea that you have to do everything by the book which is um, something that you know stephen skinner and other people really talk about quite a bit it's interesting but if i'm getting similar to same results by doing less um I don't see a problem with breaking with any kind of tradition, right? So I think as far as this kind of stuff is concerned, and this is something I really want people to try and understand, specifically through my Patreon members and through uh, through people that listen to my podcast, is that you got to have a bit of everything. You have to have a bit of that historical true magic that we saw being written down in things like the Greek magical papyri and through grimoires. But you also got to have a little bit of the new stuff, the stuff that's happening now. We were talking about hypnosis mm-hmm. uh, in my episode, so you got to have a bit of that. You got to have a bit of uh, a bit of myth, 
in there as well. So you can take from, say, something like uh, Gnosticism, not saying that that's a complete myth, but the story of the model of Gnosticism is interesting. Um, and then you have to have a, a bit of truth in there as well. So you make yourself, you mix yourself up in like an interesting cocktail. Uh, I wouldn't really call that a tradition. So when you do that, you get some really good magic. Otherwise, you're just drinking the Kool-Aid and nobody wants to do that. I mean, could you imagine trying to go out to eat with someone who insists on like, I only eat in the Western culinary tradition? And you're like, right. yeah, but dude, there's this great Thai food restaurant, like, <laughs> or there's this fusion restaurant. I mean, you know, it's not every night, but like, you want to have a broad palate, I think. Yeah, I think so. And um, so the the idea of like, do I do, am I a traditional grimoire magician? No, I don't even know what kind of magician I am. Like I have, I, I just call myself a magician and I don't, I don't think that that matters to anybody. Like. What magic is this? Is not a rhetorical question. You're like, I'm, I'm seriously like, no, like, yeah. what, what, what magic is this? I'm asking. I'm exactly. trying to figure this exactly. out. <laughs> so I'm in a, I'm in a study group right now that's reading through magic and theory by magic and theory and practice by Crowley, which I, I know you have some thoughts and feels on, right. and it is, it is fascinating because it's really bringing me back to my 18, 19 year old self that was diving into this and. In some ways, I'm really inspired by his a little bit over the top at points where he's like talking about like, you know, being lost in the true magic trance and ascending through the tree of life to have conversation with your holy guardian angel. And I'm like, yes, right. yes, I'm getting revved up again. I want that. And then I'm also frustrated because he's like, ah, how to build a magic dagger. Part one, you must dig your own iron ore and smelt it yourself and blah, blah, blah. Yeah. I'm like, man, dude, I'm not going to be able to do that. That's ridiculous. Right. And he's constantly like, oh, you want to know this? Buy my other book. You want to know this? I won't be able to tell you about it. You must figure out the secret from this vague clue that no one's going to decipher. And I'm like, oh, right. man, this is incredibly frustrating and inspiring in equal measure. But the thing that I've been thinking a lot about is like he's constantly talking about magic in this very highfalutin way of like the whole goal of magic is basically what I would consider mysticism of like you're supposed to rise through yeah. these spheres into, um, you know, the gnosis and knowledge of, of what it is to be God and sort of leave your personhood behind, which feels very contrasted to that more practical chaos magic where it's like, oh, I'm going to do a sigil so my band gets better gigs. And it's yeah. very much like I want this specific effect. So right. I'm curious um, how your own magic has has balanced between those things where it's sort of the ritual is for the experience and the ritual is for this specific somewhat measurable outcome. Like there is some stuff where you're like you either, you know, it either happened or it didn't. If, if your spell to lose your virginity didn't work, you would still be a virgin. It's kind of binary. <laughs> One of the only bits of Crowley that, because I would literally consider myself like I was a, I was a Thelemite for six, seven years. Like I would actually actively call myself a Thelemite. Uh, so <laughs> I would hope to think that I know what I'm talking about. But one of the most uh, interesting things that Crowley said, I don't remember if it's in magic in theory and practice, but I have it committed to memory. And he literally says, these rituals need not be slavishly imitated. On the contrary, the student should do nothing uh, should do nothing the object of which he does not understand. Also, if he has any capacity, whatever, he will find his own crude rituals more effective than the highly polished ones of other people. So Ooh, like, I love that. Yeah. So he doesn't just talk nonsense all the time. Crowley was actually like an incredibly interesting, uh, interesting man, full of contradictions, very obviously. But um, as far as as far as you, I think I might have lost the train of what your question was. Um, no, no, no. I think I, I think that's the other thing that I find in there where it's like he will say literally like 
you know, your your relationship to the tree of life is what's important. You need to find, you know, or the tarot cards or whatever. Like your relationship to this thing matters, not just memorizing what somebody else said. And then the next one, he's like, also, <laughs> this is the specific way that I want you to do something. <laughs> so it yeah, kind of it's yeah. kind of contradictory, goes back and forth. But I think there is a lot of that stuff where it, it very much is you've got to find your own way to do it. You got to do your own style. Yeah, yeah, and truthfully. That was how the magic pudding got made. There was, of course, people will throw up, uh, throw their arms up and say, well, there was a student uh, master relationship. And we do have evidence for such things, but we also have evidence and a lot of people ignore this. We also have evidence of a lot of people just doing things by themselves, right? And trying to figure things out by themselves. There's this whole uh, dichotomy, specifically within grimoire magicians, that had, they just basically talk about how it was the upper class that did all of these things. And it's like, well, actually, if you go to books that weren't written by occultists, we have particular specific instances, uh, say something like the Ars Rabindam Adar or the Circuits of Solomon that was released by Joseph H. Peterson, which is a proto grimoire. Bear, I'm sorry, I'm just making a world word salad for everybody here. But the point is, is that uh, these were like witches. These were people like that were living uh, usually outside of towns or just on the outskirts of towns. You have Anne Watts, who was discovered outside in Essex, in uh, just outside of London, with copies of like she was barely literate, but she had copies of three books of occult philosophy by Agrippa, Mm -hmm. the discovery of magic by Reginald Scott. Like, and this was one person. It was just her doing this kind of thing. So. this idea of tradition is one of those things that I I've, I've really have a problem with. <laughs> and I've never seen a discernible tradition. And truthfully, I think that the idea that one needs to have a mentor, it's, um, it works for some people. For some people, absolutely go for it. But I think that um, the more burning of one's fingers, which I think a lot of people are scared away with as far as magic and specifically spirit-based magic scares them. But truthfully, it's where I've seen the most gains in my own personal practice. So in, in this day and age, I feel like it's almost more dangerous to try and go seek out the ah. master who you feel comfortable teaching you because you're either just going to pay someone a bunch of money who's maybe giving you something of value, maybe not. It's 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 definitely a grab bag. And I mean, to find someone that you can really study with in person, you know, good yeah. luck being in the right area where you are happy enough with the local occult community that you find someone that you really trust and feel like has something good to offer you and isn't just um, going to argue about minutiae. <laughs> My uh, my Discord server literally yesterday there was a series of like two hundred messages back and forth between the people that are on my Patreon uh, talking about their former mentors and just how nobody had a good thing to say about their mentors like their mm. former mentors like I, not one of my my patrons you know I have about one hundred and fifty people mm-hmm. that are on the uh, the Patreon Discord server not a single one of them spoke up and was like, I had a great experience. It was all just horror stories, which might, you know, maybe it's not the best atmosphere for somebody to speak up and say like, I had a, I actually had a really good yeah. <laughs> uh, experience with a mentor, but it was mostly just like a, a group of about, uh, it was about, about 15 people just basically saying like, my mentor tr- treated me like garbage. Uh, he led me astray is cause it's usually he, I'm, I'm yeah. actually literally going to say the word he, um, and then after it was all done and I washed my hands of them, they cursed me. Like, so it's, I think you're totally right there, Devin. I think a lot of times uh, people will get burned by involving another person. I see more benefit to just doing things on your own. And historically, uh, you can point to as many people doing things on their own as you can with for people that have had mentors. The mentor student thing probably burned out in and around the, the 15th century. Yeah. 
Well, I think that's one of the paradoxes that I've wrestled with the entire time I've been interested in magic that I remember, you know, getting charged up by Grant Morrison. And I'm like, all right, I got to go find a book that gives me more than pop magic because I need to know what I should be saying and what I should be doing. How do I make a ritual? And I would go down to the local occult bookshop and, you know, very sweet people. But I was like, okay, there's an entire section on prosperity magic. Yeah. These guys are working here for minimum wage. Like if if these books truly work, if you know, if the the hype is what it's made out to be, right, then why then why are you know why are you sitting here? You've got this gold mine, you know, do the prosperity magic. And that's right. the conundrum I've always wrestled with where it's like, I think magic does work. I believe right. in magic. I became a wizard for a reason. Like I'm not, you know, I'm not yeah. just out here blowing smoke, but it obviously doesn't work the way that its most verbose uh, proponents will claim or, you know, it's it's never the, you know, I don't, I don't think either of us live a completely problem-free life where every day no. we just set up our altar and then we have communion with our holy guardian angel until noon and then we do enough prosperity magic to make sure that we can afford our second mansion and right. then we get on to, you know uh, – bartering with various demons for all the other things that we want and yeah. so I'm, I'm curious with the grimoire stuff that's one where whenever i look into it it's like ah here's a spell for like how to be invisible mm-hmm. and i'm curious what your take is on these sorts of spells which don't fit into our modern understanding of magic and are very unlikely to at least in my experience produce the results that they're claiming to in a way that people will verify in this day and age well, okay, so the invisibility stuff, uh, Ionis Marathakis had, had, he was the translator of the the Higromantia, which is my go-to grimoire. And there are spells, for, I believe there are spells to invisibility. Yeah, they're for invisibility in the in the Higromantia. He actually goes through like this, <laughs> the spells for invisibility. Um, it's it's basically trying to be unseen. Like, so people, people just ignore you basically, <laughs> right? <laughs> Um, but grimoires, people think that it's all about demon conjuration, summoning adjuration. Um, a lot of the times there's spells for getting treasures. Yes. Right? <laughs> so um, it, it depends on what one's definition for treasure is. So I did a, I did a working through of uh, finding finding a treasure from the Grimoire Verum uh, not too long ago, uh, maybe about five, six months ago. Um, as much close to the book as I, as I could. Um, so it could just be one of those like Doug's selective attention kind of things, but I've had a proliferation of people sending me things like their works of art, the things that they're happy uh, to share with me. Um, people that I, I don't want to mention like specific names, but very, very kind people that I look up to, like people that I wouldn't say like are mentors, but I admire their work, just giving me things that they've made for free. So wow. Where do you where do you draw the line as far as as treasure material things that mean something to you? Mm-hmm. I treasure this, right? Um, so it's it's one of those things where yeah, it's what is your definition of what could be a treasure? Do I expect to do? Do I expect to have something like say the the Book of Saint Cyprian, which has lists of where to find certain things? Like it it literally tells you like go beside go behind this fountain in this place in Basque in Spain. And you will find this treasure. No, absolutely yeah. <laughs> not. But but uh, as far as like the other grimoires, where it says, "Do this thing. Go to go to graveyard. Walk this uh, walk this way east uh, or west for five hundred yards, etc., cetera, etc." Cetera, and then uh, a treasure will be found. Well, no, but 
treasure might might show up. So I think uh, these spells have changed through time, certainly, but I don't think the effects have, not to my experience. So um, it comes to what your definition of what a treasure is or what invisibility might be. An invisibility spell I would recommend doing, uh, say, if <laughs> tax people are coming for you or something like that. But uh, yeah, there it changes through time. It's not... The, um, you, the you do an invisibility spell and your match rate on dating apps just goes to absolute shit. Yeah, you're exactly. like, ah, oh, it was successful. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, it's it, the, the context of the times in which these spells were written were have changed greatly, but I don't think a lot of the time that the, the effects have. Right. Yeah. So, yeah. Well, I think that's a really good point. Cause I think that's the, the, the danger with magic is the, like, the tendency towards literalism of like, right. uh, I'm expecting it to be exactly this. And if the book says it, then that's, that's the way I'm taking it. And that's the results I'm expecting. Or in, in other cases, that's the results I'm claiming on internet forums and trying to like right. puff myself up and, and, you know, prove to everybody else that I've achieved these great things. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, with, uh, with all that being said, what do you think the future of magic looks like? Where I, I know we're right kind of in the middle of this grimoire mm-hmm. renaissance, but what do you think are like the exciting trends that are happening and where, where you see things going as we move into what is proving to be a very, very bizarre decade? Yeah, it's it's been an interesting one so far. We're less than two years into it. Um, we brought back plagues. <laughs> well, I don't. Uh, I don't want to sound like a, an elitist or anything, but I don't really keep up to date with new trends. Um, I tend to stay out of the conversation quite that. Like, literally, people have been talking about something called shadow work for. Mm-hmm the last year and a half and I only found out what shadow work means to people maybe about three weeks ago. And it's just like, Oh, that's interesting. I don't, I don't care about it. So it's I thought it was like, things. kind of like the young thing of like, you're dealing it with is. the, the yeah. stuff that you don't want yeah. to admit about yourself. Yeah. But I do that in my daily life. Why would I yeah. consider that magic? <laughs> like that's like if anybody who has had mental health issues throughout right. their life and has dealt with them somewhat you know, well, that's just something I do. That's like common, that's yeah. common. shadow work or by its occult name, therapy. Exactly. Exactly. So um, I don't really know where magic's going to go. Truthfully. I think, uh, I think something like the grimoire Renaissance uh, that that's coming to a close one for the main reason is that uh, we don't really have a lot of text to translate anymore. Mm-hmm. That could shift though. That could shift when, uh, if, two things happen. One, if we find uh, more people translating texts from places, say, like uh, the uh, like Arabia. Uh, I was just about to say, I feel yeah. like, yeah, the, the, there's there's definitely the potential for like an Arabian grimoire yeah. second renaissance. Absolutely. I mean, there's not a ton talked about in Chinese. Uh, Chinese magic is incredibly interesting, uh, but I don't think there's a ton of stuff written down that we can actually go to. Most of that stuff has been translated uh, by, a, by a, that teacher student relationship right so there's not a ton written down there uh the vatican if they would open up their their play libraries we'd probably be able to find a lot of interesting stuff i know that uh, joseph h peterson is doing the new um uh, lucidarium necromantiae sorry everybody for just throwing out these terms i apologize but uh because i hate listening to podcasts where just people bring up these long latin names but anyways it was it's a new version of a grimoire uh, not a new version but it's a proto version of the grimoire the heptameron uh, that's from the vatican so if the vatican opens up their library maybe the grimoire renaissance has a bit more life but i, I see it petering out where do i see magic going 
Um, I think magic is going to get more just like uh, most forms of social media that we have now. I think it's going to become incredibly narcissistic and individualized based, mm. um, which is not a bad thing. I think historically magic has not always been about self-help, but a lot of people are using magic as self-help and there's zero shade in that. I understand it. Uh, for a while, I thought that, that was a part of the process. Cool. Uh, in some ways, ancestral veneration is also a lot of ways of helping uh, yourself. I think that magic is going to become uh, part of the uh, the generation you, right? We're going to be turning far more inward to have our magic serve us as individuals, which for me seems somewhat uh, somewhat scary. Mm-hmm. Um, not to say that magic, you know, historically as it was practiced, it was very like me based right? Like getting the things you want, cursing people who would curse you. But I see it more as like an extension of the technology that we have around us and surround ourselves with things like YouTube and uh, Instagram. Instagram is one of those ones that I don't, I I really put my hackles up at Instagram. Um, When I first started my podcast, I was really trying to be engaged with it. And I just found it very yucky. Uh, no, again, no shade to people that really enjoy Instagram. And I know people that are very, very good at it, but it just seems so taxing to me. Oh, it's so, it's such a double-edged sword. And I fucking hate that it's owned by Facebook because yeah. I, I really don't like Facebook anymore. And I'm pretty good about like not engaging with Facebook that much. And then I still use Instagram because that's where I have these random synchronicity moments where some listener reaches out and shares this really awesome message. And I'm like, ah, man, that was so great. Like, I can't get rid of this. Like that was, that was really cool to like hear from this person that's out there in the world that I'd have no other way to connect with, but I just wish they weren't owned by the same person. Cause it's like, Oh, I'm against Coca-Cola. No, thank you. I'll have a diet Coke, please. It's like, (laughs) you really sucked out my revolutionary protest moment by making me buy the same thing with a different label. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, I think um, there's this idea of, um, and if people call themselves this cool, I don't really know what it is, but it's it's a way of like uh, combining technology with your magic in a more um, algorithmic sense mm. in a way. Um, initially, I'm incredibly hesitant. Again, I haven't really done too much investigating myself. Uh, just I find uh, puttering around in my own world of that that cocktail that i was talking about earlier of mixing myth and real yeah and, oh totally and history and what's happening now um i think the technology getting involved with magic is it'll be interesting to see what happens with that i think that with such things specifically as we live in such uh and we give such onus to binary uh code that Binary co will make binary people. And I think that we're getting far more polemic as far as being unable to see those distinctions between what is real and what is fake mm-hmm. uh, or objective and subjective. So I think a lot of this uh, talk about mm, techno mage kind of thing, uh, I find a lot of them are probably going to get swallowed up by a technology they don't understand and truthfully doesn't care about them, whether that be through things like social media or um, involving scrying on iPads like I did yeah. once or something like that. Like, so I, again, I know very little about it, but I think I, I can see things going that way, but uh, truthfully, I don't know how, I well, don't I, know how I can see it getting to work. Yeah. I, I, when I was first starting, I thought about that a lot. Cause we, we talked on, on your episode um, of, of your podcast about wizardry being expertise. That's kind of beyond the knowledge of the common person. And so you can do something right. that everybody else is like, I have no idea. And 
you know, if you really want to do prosperity magic, what is prosperity magic if not understanding financial markets and all of these arcane symbols that are flowing down a screen and being able to manipulate those to make your bank account balance swell? You know, like you're literally trying to prophecy the future and know which is going to go up and down. And so I think there's a lot of time that the magic community ignores the actual magic that people are doing and then does this weird magic which is a very roundabout way to do that it's like if you really were serious about being a prosperity magician go to school and get a finance degree and learn how to play the stock market and work for one of these um you know satanic illuminati finance firms and and there you go like you're serving a dark master and you're manipulating invisible symbols to profit like if that's not magic i don't know what is and Oh, go it's ahead. interesting right now because I know quite a few magicians that are getting into something like crypto. And crypto is interesting, but I, I know nothing about it. I Same, know zero yeah. about it. Like, and so do not take my word for this, but I just see what I see on things like Twitter or whatnot. But uh, that's kind of like the poison in the machine. And that to me kind of has uh, that, that has some kind of value there. I know a couple of people. Uh, one was a, a guest of mine on one of my shows, but he's he's very involved in in ceremonial magic. He's great at uh, I hate that term, but he's mm-hmm. he builds he builds the things to make the things happen, and it's really wonderful. But he's he's incredibly enamored in uh, in crypto, and it sounds like he's having a just a ball like he's having a great time and he's incredibly successful in what he's doing so i, I like that aspect of it uh, playing by somebody else's rules mm-hmm. never fun but playing by something that everybody kind of sees as almost a form of digital witchcraft that's yeah. kind of interesting yeah and i think there's another bleed over like what you're talking about with like the self-help magic i loved i, I can't remember if it was your sigil episode or your spells episode but there was one where you were like don't make this about you make this about something in the real world Like the spirits that are going to help you, they do not give a fuck about, I want to feel more confident, say, I want to meet more people and have more interesting conversations. Like it needs to be something that exists outside of your own head to get these results. And I thought that was so helpful and something I wish I thought or someone had someone say to me long, long ago. But I think there is this kind of raw, raw self-improvement stuff that you see. Um of like, you know, even like with like the Crowley stuff of like, you know, I have my true will and Crowley's this hyper accomplished mountain climber and world traveler and sex magician. And so there's this idea that like, if I can harness my true will and wake up every day and take an ice bath while meditating, that I can like push my limits and expand what it means to be a human. And then I'm going to figure out how to be a digital nomad who makes money off of crypto and travels the world yeah. and, and blah, blah, blah. And right. so I've seen that bleed out of the occult circles and into stuff like, you know, Tim Ferriss's work and his podcast. And I don't know, like guess that Joe Rogan has, and I get the entire tech world business thing where it's this mm-hmm. idea that you're going to be the burning man CEO who does ayahuasca <laughs> to get the idea of what your next tech startup's going to be. Yeah. Yeah. The, um, the will stuff is, has never sat well with me. Even when I was a, th- a Thelemite, I, I, it still was one of those things because I don't just read books on magic. Yeah. <laughs> so m- magic probably comes third in the amount of like books that I read. I read more history than anything. Mm. I read more about um, ecology and biodiversity. Yeah. And then magic's like a, magic is like barely crossing the finish line. Um, I do enjoy books of magic, but I kind of have my, my go-tos. But uh, conceptions of the will has always been one of those things where it's 
it uh, people's idea of will I think needs a bit of retooling, specifically with more things like I guess quantum physics. But I'm more geared towards something like the work of Dr. Eric Wargo, who was talking about uh, time loops. Again, mm-hmm. I'm sorry everybody for a time loops alert, but. Um, the model of a block universe where everything has already happened it kind of throws a whole uh, wrench into the idea of, of will. Uh, reading books, I believe it's Michael Brooks wrote a book called 13 Things That Don't Make Sense. And he has a chapter about free will. And he goes through things like the Labette experiments, wherein our bodies actually respond before our brain does. Mm. So where, where's the will in that? You think that your brain is the thing that's causing your, your mind to, or your body to do things? Hmm, that's interesting. So are we being pulled along in some strange tether to something that has already happened? So the idea of, well, it, it's it's a useful word. I understand why people really like it, specifically with something like magic, because of course we'd like to think of things already happening. But uh, I'm going to go back to the very beginning here, but the idea of Heka, <laughs> specifically to the Egyptians, uh, Heka is the magic. It was, it was the cause it was the act and it was the effect of magic all rolled into one. So when you do rituals, try to think of it as coming from a place that's already been fulfilled and you doing the rituals exactly the same as the things that you want and you desire and the outcome is going to be there as well. You would already see it, you can feel it and it's done, right? Which steps away, way outside of the line of thing and like, it is my will to have this thing happen. I do spell and then I get that reaction. Is mm-hmm. it like some kind of an equation, like a scientific equation or mathematical equation? Uh, earlier notions of magic, specifically through the Egyptians, has been such a boon for me. Uh, and I've always loved the Egyptians. So just getting past that point where it's like, <laughs> who knows if the future has already happened, if I'm just being pulled along and my senses are already, already uh, everything's already decided for me. I don't care about that model too, too much. Uh, but just the idea that every act of magic is basically everything's already done and that you're just basically doing part of it. All magic is time magic, truthfully. Like that's one of these things that I think a lot of people need to get their heads around. It's all time-based, um, at least for, for me. And I find it far more useful than seeing like, I want this thing, I do this thing, I get this thing. So yeah, that's that's basically where I come at it from. At this point, ask me in six months, it might yeah, change. Yeah, it might change, <laughs> depending on what ritual you to do today. And then that influences, yeah. which, yeah, I, I just talked about this a lot in um, my last episode, How to Fracture Reality. Um, and I got, I got hurt. I fell off a thing and I got hurt and that wasn't right. what I was planning on. And there's these different, I think there's this magic of like will and control where like I'm going to order things that I want. Like I'm ordering them from Amazon. I'm going to manifest them. And you see that in like the law of attraction schools too, that like I have this will, I have this focus, I'm just going to make things happen. And I've always been much more into the idea of magic being more like the Tao where it's this flow of reality around us and it's learning how to like go with that flow. And I don't necessarily think that it only leads us to one direction, like everything's this block universe and there's only one destination, but rather we have a little bit of control Control and we can kind of find ways to swim with the current. And so us as the swimmer, the current as a moving body, we're all working together in this system that is chaotic, but ultimately there's like a harmony and a beauty and a dance to it. Well, you could even go through the conception of that. Perhaps magic is the thing 
that actually causes um, something like a dual aspect monism uh, where <laughs> where both the objective and the subjective are rising from the same place. They're one mm-hmm. thing. So it's a, it's a monist uh, view of the universe. But magic is that thing that splits the objective into the subjective in some way. I mean, it's a useful tool to think with, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, I get what you're saying. Like it's uh, don't here's the thing like with this would people when i say that like what if the future's already decided don't stop doing rituals like that's, yeah. again that's part of the magic is that the the impulse the act and the effects are all the same so that in and itself does not negate you taking one of those out because you can't figure that it won't come true yeah it's the same, right? It's just, it's literally being able to be like the action is part of the process. So at least I think find that somewhat helpful. Well, if I'm 10 pounds skinnier and fitter in the future, then why do I need to work out now? I already exist in that state. And it's like, no, that's, (laughs) they're all, they're all shaking hands and and in on the deal. Um, What you said earlier, I think is just really probably like the most important thing that, um, I think magical culture and just culture in general is facing right now that idea of it's all becoming more self-helpy and individual oriented. Mm -hmm. And there's a really interesting trend that I think you're kind of presenting of when has magic had these moments where, especially the quote unquote Western magical tradition, where it was people finding these books and doing stuff on their own and really trying to do things on their own. When was that in the same contemporary period, people doing that stuff to help their community? They were providing this service on behalf of others, and they were a resource in the community. And then, you know, the era of lodge magic, which there's problems with it, but at least, you know, you're hanging out with your buddies. I mean, like, you know, you're part of the Freemasons, you know, you get to go do rituals with other people who know the rituals and can guide you through it. You're not just trying to be the conductor and the orchestra at the same time. And I think that's one of the things that as a solo practitioner, you lose out on when, I mean, man, like self-hypnosis is great, but being hypnotized by somebody else, you can just (laughs) let go and they can help steer. And it's a totally different experience. And so I'm, I'm hopeful that we can find ways to bring those community aspects to magic back because I mean, it's more fun when you do something with friends a lot of the time, like this doesn't always need to be something that we do locked away in a tower alone with our books. Well, I mean, the function of people providing magical services, that's not going away. And that's, that has, oh, that's exploding. (laughs) The last 2,000 years, that has never not been a thing, right? Uh, It it wanes in importance as far as how many people are doing it. Uh, It's getting like, it's, due to things like social media and I just don't want to keep ragging on about it, but uh, everybody's got a Ko-Fi account on, on Twitter, right? Send me money. Like I'll do a a tarot reading for you. Cool. That's all there. Uh, More traditional aspects of, of that. We used to have villages. We used to have places where there would be the person in the village. We had cunning folk, right? Mm -hmm. We did have this as a thing. Um, Very often. I mean, I talked about a little bit with Alexander Cummings. Very often these people would be, uh, you would have more religious elements coming in and trying to like get these people uh, arrested or or join, but send them to an inquisition of some sort, not like the Spanish Inquisition, but just an inquisition in general. And the people in the village would be like, "No, we need we need this person. They're right. providing like really uh, beneficial outcomes." So I think that uh, truthfully, right now with that whole idea of of technology making things incredibly binary, and I think that. Uh, the the medium truly is the mess. I used to walk by Mount Marshall McLuhan's house here in Toronto mm. every day on my way to work. Um, 
The medium is the message. And when you're stuck in a binary world, or you're only left with one choice, is or isn't, yes or no, uh, right. objective, subjective, we can go on mind matter kind of thing. So I think that the idea that um, that such a thing like going back to an area where locality and spirituality go hand in hand in some kind of a community setting. Um, I don't think that that's happening anytime soon. There's going to have to be some kind of a fall. And this, that sounds incredibly um, cynical. Uh, I'm not a catastrophist. I do not think the world is getting worse. I think the world is getting more extreme. Yes. And there will be a point in which we'll have to be like, Mm. we might have to reinvestigate our epistemologies as to how we get information and, and table them, which is something that somebody like Charles Fort, who I'm a huge fan of, he, he calls it the dominant of witchcraft, where we look at uh, a different way of being able to see how the things that are valuable to us tell us about how we will proceed with the, the knowledge that we will accrue henceforth. Um, it's not like a, a Thomas Kuhn paradigm, scientific paradigm, where he just stops at science. It's like, and we have science and then everything's fine afterwards and we just have paradigms of science. Uh, Charles Fort says, no, no. There, the paradigm we're in science is where we get our true validation from. That ends, something comes after it. Mm-hmm. So usually that doesn't occur until something, uh, something happens, something bad happens. The switch from when things went to from religion to science was a fairly benign one. But I think that science, which has such a stranglehold on absolutely everything, uh, it's going to cause in some way its own ruin where we, we basically take the life out of absolutely everything to the point where it actually costs us our lives somehow. And uh, then perhaps we might have that situation where we go back to more communal based living. I'm not saying it's better in any way, shape or form. It is going to be different, mm-hmm. but uh, that doesn't happen uh, of its own accord. I don't think that things are at that point yet, but um yeah, I think more people are turning inward to themselves and trying to find a, a way of helping themselves. And that's that's symptomatic of the fracturing that we're seeing right now through all strata of society. Everybody's conflicted, but I think that uh, we will come to some kind of, a, and I'm not saying an apocalypse, but there will be some kind of a revelation and it's not going to be one thing um, unless we cha- vastly change how we get our information and what we do with said information to inform our lives and help ourselves. Uh, things aren't looking great right now. <laughs> we're we're but, in the uh, middle of the crisis. I mean, I think, yeah. you know, like Alan Moore talks about, um, you know, culture is turning into steam. And I, right. I think about that a lot. And I think the first time I heard it, I was like, yeah, sci-fi futurism, cool, awesome, <laughs> like floating steam consciousness. And then now I'm like, no, imagine being a water molecule and you're talking to your friend and then suddenly he explodes into gas and right. disappears and all around you. It's like the rapture, like everything right. is exploding into gas and disappearing period and i think you're right that like you know kuhn is very specific about this is for scientific revolutions but we are in epistemic uh, epistemic crisis right now where so. the paradigm we have of how do we know what's true is breaking and everyone is saying ah it's true because i watched a youtube video about it no it's true because i read a new york times article about it no it's true because i believe it in my heart and the bible tells me so and all of these are competing and we're sort of losing our grip and there's definitely something on the other side i don't know if it's a coherent thing in the way that we would like it to be but there's definitely a new 
paradigm or paradigms emerging. And that's my hope is that magic and stuff like Robert Anton Wilson talking about reality tunnels is going to give us a toolkit where we say, okay, what is identity for kids that grow up spending most of their time in virtual worlds? Like all of the conversations we're having right now about gender and race, when you spend most of your time as a digital avatar and not a single digital avatar, I'm a dolphin in this world and I'm a 12 foot tall woman in this world. And then I'm a mouse in this world. Like what's my gender? Like who cares? You know, don't be, don't be so biocentric. (laughs) Like it doesn't matter. And so I think I'm hopeful that magic will give us some of those tools to, to navigate that. But magic is still evil right now. Um, Oh yeah. As in, as in magic, like it, Truthfully, magic has never been more benign as far as its aims, but as far as uh, the rest of the the world, we're still considered deluded. Uh, like I'm, I'm considered deluded by um, by even saying that I'm a magician, right? Like when I I before June of 2019, ten people in the world knew about my magical proclivities. Mm. Um, since then, most people have been uh, most people <laughs> have the reaction. Okay, cool. Let's just never talk about it again. Um, other people are like, oh, cool. I had these cool experiences and we'll talk about it. Great. And just some people have like, they've just dropped off the map, right? <laughs> and yeah. So almost in equal measure, uh, magic will always be viewed as a return to what uh, Carl Sagan called the demon haunted world. Um, I have issues with Carl Sagan. Everybody loves him. Um, I'm a James Burke fan more than if you don't know who I'm talking about with James Burke. Uh, anyways, look up connections. But I'm the, going to. That's that's that's. <laughs> I'm not going to try and type out the Latin ones, but I'm definitely going to look up that one. But uh, I I don't want to see the the idea that we're returning to a demon haunted world by putting something like experience above explanation as an epistemology. Um, that actually has benefits and it yeah. has great benefits. So uh, this is starting to happen in things like uh, anthropology. Uh, anthropology has always been where I've, I've headed to. I'm not a fan of philosophy. In, in fact, like, mm. I hate the term occult philosophy. Um, but uh, anthropology has had gone through a certain, the last 30 years has gone through something basically called um, the ontological turn in which you just see that different worldviews are not simply different representations of the same world, right? So I don't know if people know what I'm saying when I'm saying that, but a good example of it, which I went through in my animism episode, is that, uh, say we're to use it as an example, the the Inuit of Northern Canada, the Inuit peoples. Uh, we have this thing, and we love putting it up on like BuzzFeed or wherever it says, like, this is how many words they have for snow. right. No, <laughs> they, t- they have words for the things that they're talking about, right? It's not trying to relativize everything to a Western um, epistemology or Western ontology, right? Like they have words for the things for what they stand for that we've degraded and just been like, no, this is very definitely snow. It's actually literally frozen molecules of water, blah, blah, blah. That just crushes the life out of absolutely everything. So I think that a turn towards... Uh, not a demon haunted world, but a spirit haunted world. That to me seems far more beneficial. But uh, if we're ever going to get there, I'm not too sure. I, I, I would hope so. But that is a worldview that is based more so on experience and uh, that beneficial side of individualized experience. 
uh, as opposed to turning more forward in, sorry, more inward into yourselves to try and make your magic tell you more about yourself or help yourself, but more so in a storytelling way in which your experiences can be shared with absolutely everybody. everybody. That is literally the point of my podcast is right. just sharing of stories um, and experiences and the experiences that I've had in my 18 years of doing magic. So um, I think that uh, I think that that is will be beneficial, and yeah, we're we are in a crisis point right now. I don't think the like the world is going to end, not in any way that we can discern. I mean, if you want to use an example of Alan Moore, right through something like Promethea, Revelation was literally just like everybody just decided to live differently, which is a bit of a cop out for the ending of Promethea. I don't know if everybody's read that book, but uh, the world was still somewhat the same, but just the things that they valued were different right so well, one one day one day and i mean worlds are ending all the time like that's the thing yeah. is that like my understanding of the world feels so complete and fully realized but it is there's so much more dark matter out there than things that i understand and you know i i feel like i have like a, a grasp on like what's happening with geopolitics and what's happening with culture and media but that is just a projection based off of a very 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 small sample size and when you remember that like you know my social media feed feels overwhelming and if i went and looked at somebody else's social media field feed i would see a different world i've always thought that would be like the most interesting experiment is like if we could just create a thing where you sign up and then it just says here you now you can't post anything but you can just look through somebody else's facebook feed and i would be like what is this like oh my god this is what this is what you see when you log on to facebook that's not what i see when i log on to facebook and um yeah, like even even if somebody hands you their iPhone right now and is like, "Oh, look up directions," and I'm like, "I I don't I don't I don't know how to use your phone. <laughs> like your phone is different than my phone. I have no idea. Like what? Where is where are your settings? Where where do I do anything? Um, right. It's just getting so complicated. Yeah. Um, well, thankfully, I think we have at least some some form of magic to help us muddle our way through this challenging time. So let's talk about a spell that the listeners can do to hopefully bring a little bit of magic into their lives and deal with this crisis that's pounding on us from all sides. Yeah. I think a lot of people feel that there is a lack of agency that we have in our lives. Um, And one of my favorite things uh, as far as uh, giving myself agency is is something called the Abre Camino. Are you familiar with Abre Camino? No. So Abre Camino just basically. It sounds like a wizard spell to like summon a Camino. You're like Abra Camino. And then like a sick Camino appears and you're like, great. You can drive off a, in this. Put a pool in the back. You're all good. I'm old enough to remember what a Cam- El Camino is. <laughs> I think actually one of my friends had one. It was a goofy looking vehicle. Yeah. But uh, um, Abra Caminos, yeah, they're they're road openers basically. And so there's a there's you can buy plants, you can buy the herb, you can buy candles, you can buy Abra Camino incense. But the the basis of the ritual itself, um, whatever you're doing, is that you're just asking for obstacles to be removed and. Uh, other occultists have said it's almost as if that's the only spell that you need. Mm. <laughs> like when you come down to it, it's just a removing of obstacles. So I've always loved Abre Caminos. So can you give us like a, a, a like instructions for you know I'm gonna I'm gonna go do my Abra Camino this week. What what should I do? Sure. 
So basically what you want to do is uh, give yourself, uh, get yourself a candle. Uh, it can be an Abra Camino candle. It can be a seven day candle, anything like that. Like I'm talking about like jar candles, mm-hmm. um, but just anything. If you want to apply a, um, a deity of some sort, any kind of sort, whether it be to uh, say like a saint, I'm very, very enamored with saints. And I have been for, like, even before I was a magician, I was obsessed with saints. See, I'm um, already thinking Ganesha because Ganesha is the, the remover yeah. of obstacles, uh, exactly. Lord of obstacles. I, I talk a lot about how he also puts obstacles in your way, but anyways. Yes. <laughs> yeah. But it can be to any one of those deities and you just craft yourself a little, uh, a little ritual. And uh, I actually had a, somebody asked me a question recently. Like he, he wanted to, um, uh, I, I'm, I'm really hoping I'm not outing anybody here, but it was a Patreon follower. And he's like, I'm, I'm tired of, of the, the lack of resources and the lack of funds that I have in my life. And I went no, like, Abra Camino, like, just go for it. it. said, excuse me. I just said, yeah, this is a spell that uh, has been used quite a bit. Very popular in, in Mexico, very popular in South America, um, very popular in the, in the Caribbean, but uh uh, you just uh, you do an Abra Camino spell. I said, can you, can you take me through the steps of doing an Abra Camino? And I was like, well, truthfully, no. Um, I, I can tell you about the candle. I can tell you you can buy the herb and you can, if it's, if it's dried, crush up a little bit and put it inside a jar candle, not enough that's going to start a fire, obviously. Uh, then find yourself a deity and uh, you create your own spell and uh, your own incantation if you want to basically ask that, Every obstacle that impedes you to get some kind of a way forward be removed. You need an unblocking of everything uh, and an availability to be able to know when there's a direction to head to. So, and this is something that I think everybody should do, even if you don't want to do a candle, have something that you can say to something that basically asks them to know, asks them to remove obstacles and help you f- be able to recognize when they have been removed to remove into a more uh, prosperous but more beneficial direction for your life. So I can't give you the words as to what an Abra Camino because this has to come from your heart. Mm-hmm. Like this has to come from you and it has to be one of those things. And I've done Abra Caminos where I have fucking, cr- sorry if I swear. Oh, you sorry. can swear. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's fine. All right, cool. <laughs> but I've done ones where I've cried. Like I've, I've been like, I, I need something to happen. And for the most part, they normally do. And uh, it might just be like somebody would say scientifically, well, you're just more open. You're basically doing a spell to allow yourself to be open-minded. Good. Sure. <laughs> Great. Yeah. Like, oh, oh no, I, I got more open-minded. I guess my magic didn't work. Ah, oh, bummer. Exactly. But, but do that. If you have a seven-day candle, I mean, if you can stay at home, leave it burning till it's completely gone. But uh, that's, that's basically, I think, that a spell that... Uh, perhaps the spell of all spells is one in which it maximizes the possibilities and it removes obstacles. So that's a spell I think anybody can do uh, truthfully. Like it's, it's so simple. It's so easy. Uh, but the most important part is you speak from your heart. Uh, a lot of people talk like they'll, 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 they'll overthink things. This needs to be you. And this need, it doesn't have to be pleading to whatever deity you want to do it towards. Um, it doesn't even need to be to a deity itself, just to the universe. I don't care, right? <laughs> to Gaia, does not matter. But it's got to be incredibly sincere. And within that sincerity is where the real magic is, truthfully. 
And uh, that's one thing I think that more than anything, uh, we have a discreet, uh, no, sorry, not discreet. We have a discernible, discernible uh, acknowledgement that uh, not a lot of us are very sincere and earnest in wanting things. I think there might be some uh, Calvinist notions in mm. us that have has made us feel guilty about actually wanting something. So, oh yeah, that's I mean that's the hardest stuff of magic is like, well, what's my desire, and actually, how much do I want to influence the universe because I don't want to monkey's paw myself. Like I, right. I want to I want to steer a little bit, but I don't want to steer and get to the thing that it's like when you change lanes in the grocery aisle because you're like, oh, that line's shorter, and then you move into that one, and you're like, oh wait. Nope, that that one that I was in just suddenly moved fast. Like, how much yeah. do you want to be messing with things, and how much do you want to just trust that the flow is going to go the way it needs to go? Absolutely, and and also with what I was saying earlier, that the act of lighting a candle in your incantation uh, is the same as the cause of you wanting to have things opened up for you, and the results that you can't see at this moment, they're all the same. Yeah. Right, that's some Egyptian shit. And that's the good shit, right? Uh, so that that's basically what I would say is one of the more easy things that you can do at this point. It doesn't take anything, truthfully. You don't really need a candle, but uh, I find they're, they're, they're quite helpful. But that's that's it. Just open the road. You need some roads opened, and, and, uh, and they'll be very apparent when, when they are opened. I love it. And the, I'm, I'm going to add an optional wizard twist that I would recommend people sure. do, that whatever you're doing in your own personal Abra Camino ritual at some moment you should very dramatically yell abra camino and there and there you go yes well a lot of a lot of a lot of the spells if you do look up abra camino um, incantations or, or uh, the words used they all include abra camino and it's asking abra camino like i need you to unblock i need you to show away i need you to open things up and those words are definitely in there so with what devin says yes when abra camino is in or whatever you're saying, uh, definitely shout it out loud with gusto. <laughs> a little bike horn squeak helps That's too. Right. Um, well, this was amazing. It's been so fun chatting with you, Douglas, and I, I enjoy your podcast so much. And I'm uh, excited that this magic has brought us together across time and space to have a little bit of community to figure out what magic this is. Absolutely. It's been a, just beyond a pleasure. I've had such a wonderful two days just with the, the back and forth of you being on my podcast and being on yours. It's been so much fun, actually. <laughs> Agreed. Magic should be fun. I think that's the bottom line. Absolutely. You get one of these things that we know of. You get one of these lives. You yeah. should have at least a little bit of fun in there. <laughs> Thanks, Douglas. No problem. For more of Douglas's magic, visit whatmagicisthis.com and listen to What Magic Is This wherever you listen to podcasts, which if you're listening to this podcast right now, I'm just going to assume you've got figured out. And while you're checking out What Magic Is This, might I humbly suggest the episode Wizards with a Wizard featuring yours truly. And if you dig the magic we're weaving in this podcast as a ritual, our Patreon is getting slightly better every day as we recently shared a This Playlist is a Ritual episode on Wild Christianity, an hour-and-a-half-long deep dive into psychedelic Christian folk and hard rock from the 60s and 70s, and we've got our first-ever Friends of the Wizard virtual gathering coming up later this month. Super excited about that, and I can't wait to gather together as a ritual community and start working more profound forms of magic. But if you aren't quite ready 
to purify yourself and offer the proper sacrifices to the Patreon gods, you can still support the ritual the old-fashioned way by sharing it with a friend, liking and subscribing on iTunes, or writing us a nice review. It really makes a difference keeping those creepy algorithms happy. So help us out, because the magic's in you. You know what to do.